Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast. Here to amplify diverse voices in media, I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on. You can also find the full show notes on abouttoreview.com. Follow the podcast on social media at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to shoot me an email and discuss movies or whatever else is going on in your world, you can do that at abouttoreview at gmail.com. One really cool thing that I definitely want to mention on this week's episode is that I was asked uh, by my friend Joel McCarthy up in Vancouver, BC, to be a juror for their biannual, it used to be biannual, they're still kind of getting back into it now, but the Vancouver Run and Gun 48-hour film competition, which I am super excited about. So as everybody knows, I'm a huge fan of 48-hour film competitions, both locally where I serve as a juror and a sponsor for local competitions. But Joel asked me to be part of the jury pool for the Vancouver 48-hour film competition Run and Gun, which he started a few years ago. I think this is their fifth year that they have been doing it, and they have also done a couple blood and guts versions of these 48-hour film competitions. This year was insane. Now that they could actually get back to filming, get back to having a crew on set, there were 100 teams that participated, and only one did not deliver. So of those 100 teams, 1,286 people participated total in that one weekend. That is madness and so, so amazing. So yeah, I am super excited to be a juror for that. The top 20 films uh, will be playing July 10th at rngfest.com. So those actually should be able to be streamed everywhere. Uh, They're also playing it live in a theater with the filmmakers, and you can stream it uh, from there. So that should be really cool also. But yeah, so I definitely wanted to give Joel a shout out. He started this run and gun competition a few years ago uh, with another buddy of mine, another friend of the podcast, uh, Natch Dusty Mehta and Charles Chen. Uh, this year, Sasha Duncan is also a big part of it and helping Joel out. So yeah, super happy to be involved with the Run and Gun Film Vancouver's 48-hour film competition. I will put a link uh, in the description of the episode, so you can definitely follow that. And that will be again on July 10th. Uh, and I have a bunch of homework to do this weekend of watching a bunch of short films uh, and rating them as a good judge slash juror does. The thing that blows me away with the Vancouver 48-hour 48-hour film competitions, which I have seen a bunch of before after covering festivals up there for a while. The level of talent that is in Vancouver and the Vancouver film community and the film industry is always humbling. So I am just super excited for this year to see what everybody comes up with. From when I was talking to Joel, he said that, uh, yeah, people had some some things to work out uh, this year. So... Excited to see what that means. But yeah, so Run and Gun, uh, yeah, will be premiering, quote unquote, premiering July 10th. So click that link below. Okay, so this week's episode, two movie reviews, one 
film that is in theaters this week, even though it opened last month internationally. Uh, and that will be <laughs> F9, The Fast Saga, because they gave up calling these Fast and the Furious and numbering them, and now it is just words. So F9, The Fast Saga, uh, and also a review for a film that actually made its festival run in 2019, but finally got some streaming uh, here in 2021, and that is Sater, which is on Shudder and also I think like Amazon Prime Video. So a couple different streaming services. But before I go into those two reviews, we will go to the original theme song created by Damian Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. First film I will be discussing, as I mentioned, is Sator. So, or Sator, S A T O R. Uh, this film, like I said, uh, came out originally in 2019 at Fantasia Fest. And then obviously the pandemic just kind of did a lot of things to a lot of films, especially independent films like this. And so now it is on streaming services, uh, which you can check out. So, this is <laughs> directed, written, produced, edited, and cinematography by Jordan Graham. This is actually his feature film debut. He did a couple of short films before this, but this is his his big thing. And when I say big thing, as I mentioned, he did everything behind the camera. Everything. Similar to how I talked about like with Bo Burnham with his recent special Inside. That was filmed, you know, in an apartment, audio done in an apartment. This film, Sator, takes place in, uh, I, I think I looked it up, and it was in, like, the California wilderness. It is indescript as far as, like, where this takes place, but that does not really matter as much. But it is filmed outside, outdoors, in this, like, really, really beautiful and also bleak kind of, I would say, Pacific Northwest mountain landscape. So that is a whole different process of doing a film like this by yourself. And this film, it centers around two brothers, uh, Gabriel Nicholson, who plays Adam, and Michael Daniel, who plays Pete. And it, this, this is a tough one to kind of describe in the sense of there are a few different plot lines going on, but the overarching thing is that there is this creature or elemental spirit or possible group of people called Sater. And we get these kind of dialogues where Adam, who is living by himself, has self-isolated, you know, in this cabin in a way to kind of protect himself, possibly from these entities. We're never quite sure as to the reality of these creatures or if they are actually there or if they are all in the mind of these characters. And that actually is a really interesting twist because the more I read into this film, so just watching it, I was interested. 
I was like, okay, this is this is a very interesting take on things. Jordan definitely has a very interesting way of shooting this film. And at first, before I dug into this, when I was just watching it and taking some notes, there are there are a few different scenes, I will say, that go back from instead of 16 by 9, kind of anamorphic, you know, regular size, quote unquote, regular size film. So then we have like these four, three aspect ratio, black and white scenes. And then we have these long, beautiful scenery scenes, scenery scenes. That seems really weird. We have these beautiful um, outdoor scenes, these like landscape scenes that are just gorgeous, that belong in like a National Geographic film. And as I was watching this, it would go from that to then this like claustrophobic way of filming inside this cabin or inside this house. And so when I was writing down my notes, I was like, wow, the cinematographer is great. And I wonder what the cinematographer and the director, what their relationship was, because these are very distant views. These are very different ways of shooting this film. But, you know, it seems to work. Come to find out, he did all of this. And by he, I mean Jordan Graham. This film took seven years to create, as in from when he started filming it, writing it and filming it, to then finally releasing it. Seven years, because he was doing this all by himself. And so when I talk about how kind of kind of confusing the plot structure is, it still flows within the movie where we get Adam and Pete, you know, they have this brotherly relationship, and then their grandma, Nani, like, we, we get these connections, but everything seemed very disparate. Like it felt like there were too many things going on at one time and he was trying to kind of weave them all together into this world that is very similar to like either the witch or hereditary. We get scenes that are very similar to that, but I was trying to figure out kind of what the overarching plot was because of those very different things that we see. And so I was like, I was like, okay, I was just along for the ride. I kind of had to make peace with myself about halfway through this film. Just being like, okay, I'm along for the ride. I'm just going to watch this. I'm not going to worry about these different filming techniques, these different, totally different, what it seemed like, plot lines. I just need to just go with this and just trust this process. And I did. Um, and for a movie that is, like I said, going from wide shots to then very claustrophobic scenes, it was well done. It was definitely well done. Nani, who, again, is the grandmother, we see these scenes of her talking about Sater, and we get these weird tangential lines of, okay, well, she made this deal with Sater, and if only you had followed, followed in the family's footsteps, you would be safe from this, Adam. But that is kind of it. And we're never really kind of sure where those threads are being pulled from. Uh, so, again, it, this, is a, this is a tough one to talk about the plot with because there are so many different threads. So I would just kind of talk in some generalities. Uh, because, yeah, it, it, is, it is tough. After doing more research on it and finding out kind of more about Jordan Graham and this film, it started to make more sense. Essentially, his real-life grandmother, 
who plays the grandmother in this film, June Peterson, as Nani, she actually believed in Sater. She had this kind of three-month-long uh, experience, for, for lack of a better term, with this creature, with this entity, and she would do these things called automatic writings, where essentially she would kind of go into a trance and just write for hours a day, for days on end, just write. And she called it automatic writing because she did not feel like she was actually doing it, that Sater was actually going through her and writing these things down. So then when I started looking at it through that lens of like, okay, this woman in the film is his real grandmother and the things that she is speaking about were the things that she actually experienced. And when he, when I, I read this fascinating interview with Jordan Graham where he talked about when he first started writing this film, his grandma was not in it. Sater was not in it. He was kind of just going for like an atmospheric, I mean, I say horror, but it's not really a horror, just atmospheric psychological thriller. And then when he started talking to his grandma and she started saying things and talking about these things that she used to do or encounter, then he started to do more research into the family. And towards the end of this process, I say, because unfortunately that actress, uh, June Peterson, passed away. Um, she had dementia towards the end. So he started recording these interactions with her. And the first time that we see Michael Daniel as Pete interact with June, June Peterson as Nani, the first time their characters interact was the first time those two people had ever, ever interacted. And so he, the actor, Michael Daniel, was talking to her about these spirits and everything, and you hear her talking about it. That was Jordan Graham basically just filming conversations with his grandma and then trying to figure out how to frame that in the context of the movie. So again, going back to what I talked about, of like there were so many different threads, this is why. And it made so much more sense after reading about that and how he would shoot these scenes with his grandma talking about these things and her experiences and then go back to writing the film of being like, okay, she said this, how do I incorporate that? How can I make this you know, make sense in this narrative sense. So he was constantly weaving these threads together into this product. Now I will say, can you watch this film from beginning to end without having knowing, without knowing all of that, without digging into it as deep as I did and still enjoy the film? Absolutely. But for me, while I was kind of analyzing the film and wondering why there were these choices that were being made, it enhanced my feeling of the film when I actually did do more research into Jordan and his history. Because there are some beautiful, absolutely beautiful shots in this film. Both not, not just the landscape shots, which again, felt like a completely different person. Like the person who shot those, which is him, Jordan, and the person who filmed the interior things did not feel like the same person at all. Uh, so that is good. He has a, a variety of skills that he can do that with. But it was just something where it enhanced my viewing pleasure of this after reading more about it. Because, yeah, during the movie, you kind of just have to let it happen. You just kind of have to go along with it. There is not much dialogue in this film. And when I say bleak, this is a bleak film. And he did that on purpose. He wanted to try and shoot when there was not very much sunlight. 
when the light was coming through the trees and in the shadow and the forest, creating this bleak nature. And the characters that we get are also bleak. Adam and Pete, and we have a couple other people. We have Evie and some other folks that, again, there's not a lot to them, but they are also bleak. Like, this is not a feel-good film. It kind of felt like that when I did more research, and I was like, oh, this is kind of an ode to his grandma, who unfortunately never got to see the finished product. She passed away before this film was completed. So, yeah, this is this is a, a bleak psychological thriller that, yeah, uh, is beautifully shot and well acted. I mean, it definitely, like, you get a lot of just one-man show with Gabriel Nicholson, and he plays well to the camera. He's able to kind of emote enough without kind of going overboard. Like, this felt very, very much like an indie psychological thriller with people who are also just not starting to learn their craft. They are professional actors, but really kind of going into that and going into, okay, I have these lines to say, but what else can I do in that scene? So, yeah, so kudos to them. Um, yeah, the, again, th- this is, there's not much I can say about it that I have not already said in like 10 minutes. Uh, but, yeah, to my official rating, the rating system for this podcast, three choices, good, bad, or ugly. No stars, no letter grades. A good film is something you would recommend to a friend. A bad film is something that was just kind of meh. It was a movie. Ugly, avoid at all costs. Uh, Sater, I give it good. Like I said, to me, at least, I had to just give myself the grace and give Jordan Graham the grace of just like, all right, I'm just going to sit through this movie. I still wrote a couple notes during because that is what I do. But I stopped trying to analyze the movie because there were so many distinct things going on that I was like, okay, let me just roll with it. But this absolutely gets a good. Uh, I, I definitely enjoyed this film. Like I said, it is streaming on a couple different channels. So if you want to check it out, it definitely will be available. Uh, Yeah, that is about it for that one. Next is the ninth film in the Fast and the Furious saga. And by ninth, I actually mean tenth because Hobbs and Shaw is part of this. Oh, no, actually, Hobbs and Shaw is, I think, part of the nine. The unofficial tenth was Better Luck Tomorrow, which they kind of shored in here as as the 10th movie only because that was something that Justin Lin had also directed so it it is it is a stretch um but yeah that there are a lot of these movies so yeah three six nine no so this is okay yeah as I as I remind myself so this is the 10th movie in the main Fast and the Furious saga the pseudo 11th film, Better Luck Tomorrow from 2002, again, is not officially part of it, but kind of retroactively it is part of the Fast Saga. Anyway, so this is Fast and the Furious 9, otherwise known as F9, the Fast Saga. Um, oof, this movie. Uh, I'm just going to say this right off the bat. Whether this spoils my upcoming rating or whether it taints the viewing pleasure of people watching this movie or listening to this review. Uh, But here it is. There is better acting 
and more compelling action in a 30-second Hot Wheels commercial than there is in this two-and-a-half-hour movie. This movie is a mess. And again, any listeners of this show know that like I can get down for some cheesy action movies. I love cheesy action movies. But if you're going to be over-the-top and cheesy, at least be entertaining. And that is where the biggest flaw of this movie is. It just was barely entertaining. And two and a half hours. Okay, so now that, now that we got that out of the way, uh, <laughs> this movie starts on a flashback, which is a bold choice, especially in your ninth movie. The only reason this flashback exists when we see Dom and his dad at a racetrack, the only reason that flashback scene exists is to set up one of the villains that will appear in the movie. That is it. The fact that your ninth movie, you have to show a flashback from 30 years ago to then set up this current film because you're like, all right, um, what else do we got? What else can we do? Oh, who knows? How about we go back in time, show Dom as a teenager, I want to say, like uh, maybe 1920, and another person who we have never seen before, only to have them come up and be like a pivotal character in this one. Like, what are they doing? Like, that was just, it, I mean, it was a bold choice, absolutely bold choice, but yikes. Um, so anyway, we get the setup from this flashback. We get this character introduced, but essentially we see Dom and Letty living the quiet life. They gave up the street racing slash super spy slash global anti-hero slash stopping world domination plot. <laughs> they, they stopped all of that and they're now they're living on a farm. With Vin Diesel's son, uh, Little B, or Brian. But, of course, that does not last. Because we get the MacGuffin introduced very quickly into this film. And they're pulled back into action. I, I, I mean, th this movie. Um, what, can, what can I even say about this movie? These stopped making sense so long ago. And they just stopped caring so long ago, but I say they stopped caring. The producers of this film, of which Vin Diesel is one, these films have grossed worldwide as of now. Like before the movie, this movie is actually released wide. Because again, it was released internationally first before this movie gets released wide. This franchise has already made $6.2 billion over these 10 films. That, that is madness. What is wrong with us? Why do we keep throwing money at movies like this? But that is why they keep getting made. And I understand that it is the business. But yikes. I mean, Vin Diesel, of course, returns. Like, pretty much everybody returns. And when I say everybody, I'm not going to spoil some of the people who are returning, even though they were already kind of spoiled in the trailers and in the promo images for this. But I'm just going to say that this is essentially the Dragon Ball Z franchise. Nobody stays dead. No matter what you see, no matter how they might have disappeared or if a planet was blown up, 
yes, that is Dragon Ball Z and not Fast and Furious yet. Um, but in Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z in particular, or Dragon Ball Super even, no matter what happens, no matter how sad it is or how you know emotional it gets when somebody dies, it never matters. It does not matter. They will come back. And in these movies, they, st- <laughs> I mean, again, they stopped caring. They're like, oh, wait, who, who do we want back? Sure, this person. How? Uh, we will do it this way. And they just like hand wave, almost literally hand wave these characters back to life. One of the craziest things about this movie, I mean, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to read the synopsis. Uh, just so you have some idea. Cypher enlists the help of Jacob, Dom's younger brother, to take revenge on Dom and his team. Um, why? I'm, uh, it, why? It is, yeah, it is ridiculous. Cypher, of course, is played by Charlize Theron, who is back for some reason. Uh, I am pretty sure they filmed all of her scenes in two days. Honestly, they, they probably could have done it in one day, in one location. But good for her. Make your money, girl. Like, get after it. But ridiculous. Um, the dialogue in this is trash, like we have come to expect from Fast and the Furious. But to the point where, at our press screening, there were, I would say, like 20 of us there in the theater. We started laughing from beginning to almost end and not at the parts that they thought were going to be funny because those parts were kind of funny but honestly the dialogue in the rest of this film was way more funny than any of the funny bits that were actually done in the film I mean it is this this was hard to watch like it, it hurts your brain to watch this film and uh, like I was like I was going to say before I went into the, the description of the film or the plot line of the film, the scariest part about this movie, honestly, the most terrifying part about this movie is that Tyrese, of all people, Tyrese Gibson as Roman, is the voice of reason. That is a sentence I never thought I would ever say about Tyrese ever. And I will say it again. Tyrese Gibson is the voice of reason in this film. Insane. Throughout the entire movie, when these outlandish things are going on, Tyrese is, I mean, breaking the fourth wall as much as you can without literally looking in the camera and winking. But he is telling everybody in the movie, hey guys, what what happened? How are we still alive? Why are we able to do these things that we are doing? How are we able to do these things that we are doing? Why are we going here? Who is this? I thought this person was dead. How did they survive? This is impossible. He does that throughout the entire movie. Those parts were funny and funny for a reason, but they kept happening. And I was like, do they, I mean, is this happening? Is this truly something where the writers are just like, nobody cares. So we're just going to put this in here anyway. Like, there is a really funny scene between Tyrese and Ludacris, Roman and Tej. And Roman is basically telling him, like, 
I just shot a bunch of people. They shot me. Here is my jacket full of bullet holes. How am I not dead? Why do I not have a scratch on me? And Ted is like, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe you're, and he starts like believing it and talking about it. And I was like, this is so meta. And it is kind of genius in those moments. But then immediately it goes back to the action, the ridiculous action. When I, I just, oh man, it is just bad. This, this is so, so bad. Um, oh yeah, the exposition. <laughs> Not only do you have Tyrese talking about things like that, almost breaking the fourth wall, but the exposition is also insane. Again, towards the beginning, where we get people, you know, everybody coming back together, you know, with Dom and, and Letty and like bringing the team back together. When they tell them that Cypher is back and you get the, the music swells and Dom, you know, has this intense moment. And he tells them, you know, I left that behind. You know, it's no longer for me. And he goes to walk away. And I think it was Ludacris or maybe it was Tyrese, but he was like, but man, this is Cypher. This is the woman who killed the mother of your child. And then you get like Dom slowly turning around like, why would you forget that? You would never forget that. Dom, the character, would never forget who this woman is. Me, John, the film critic and movie watcher, legitimately forgot who this person was. So to me, I was like, oh, this is why they put the exposition in there. Because I genuinely do not remember who most of these characters are, where they came from, what they do, because nothing matters. Nothing at all matters in these movies, wow, uh, so yeah, and it just the constant reintroduction of characters as if any of them mattered was just bad, we get Dame Helen Mirren, who is amazing, I love that woman, she is great, we get her for like a 90 second scene, only to tie in to the other ones to remind people, oh yeah, she is here also, what? Why? Ugh. Blech. Blech. Okay, I'm not going to give this movie um, any more time because it, it, it truly does not deserve it. Uh, I mean, okay, directed by Justin Lin. Go over some of the little things real quick. Directed by Justin Lin. He has directed six or five of these films going back all the way to Tokyo Drift. So Justin Lin has been part of this franchise for like 15 years Almost as long as the other people who have been involved since the very beginning. So I will give credit where credit is due. That is great that he is not only making these films, he is making them profitable. So he is doing his job when it comes to the eyes of the studio and the producers. Sure. Um, yikes. Uh, the other thing that I will give this movie, and this is something that I, that I wrote down also. And then when I posted that I was seeing this, uh, one of my friends, Hiromi, also mentioned this. The thing that these films do, this whole franchise has done, this, these films give more POC actors things to do than almost any other franchise out there, action or otherwise. There are people of color all over this film. Good guys, bad guys, behind the camera, in front of the camera, all over the place. That is great. I love seeing that. This is a super, super diverse 
cast. So that that by itself deserves some credit. So good for Justin Lin and whoever else is involved with those decisions for giving people of color all different complexions. That is that is great. Um, that is about the only thing that is redeemable about any of these movies. Um, reality does not exist in these movies. They stopped it. It stopped existing a long time ago. But again, at least be entertaining. Like, I have a feeling if even if it were not a press screening, if I were to go to see this movie in the regular theater with, you know, a full audience or as full as we can be currently, wherever you live, a full audience, they would also be laughing at the pure ridiculousness of this film. And again, some of it will be in the parts that they meant to be funny. Some of it is not going to be. So anyway, um... All right, my, my official rating for F9, the Fast Saga. I mean, I I gotta say ugly. If you are a completionist, you are already going to see this movie. If you like these films, you are already buying your ticket to this film. So I would give it a bad, because I know that some people are really going to go to it and give them their money, but this is just ugly. This is just dumb, and I think... And I tried to go back, and I might still listen to my past episodes when we talked about, like, Hobbs and Shaw or something. I was pretty sure I said, or my guest said at the time, that this franchise is going to end up in space. I'm just going to leave that there. Um, take with that what you will when you see this film. But this film, th- this gets an ugly. Uh, just so, so bad. Pull up YouTube. And like think like just pull I'm sure somebody has made a compilation of like the 90s Hot Wheels commercials. Just watch those. Better acting, better action in those commercials than in this entire movie. So trash. Anyway. All right. So for this episode, uh, I reviewed Sater, which I gave a good to. Really, really cool of Jordan Graham to spend seven years making this passion project getting it exactly the way that he wanted, truly taking his time in post. He also did all of the, like, Foley work and sound designs. Like, Jordan Graham, I mean, this is the definition of of a passion project. So, yeah, good for him. Uh, F9, the Fast Saga, I gave it ugly. This is just, it is just garbage. Um, I, I, I seriously forget how bad these movies are until I see them again. And I forget who the characters are, and I forget what happened in what movie and when it came out, because none of it matters. None of it. Uh, oof, gosh. Anyway, so for <laughs> this week's episode, uh, yeah, I've been your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also stream the episodes directly from the website, abouttoreview.com. Follow the podcast on social media, at abouttoreview. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send me an email about review at gmail.com if you want to discuss this film or any other films. I am here to do that. So thank you again for listening. Thank you so much for your support. It is good to be back. And for those wondering, because I did get one message about this, um, I'm not sweating today. So hey, three weeks in a row behind the behind the microphone, back at it, and I'm not a sweaty mess like I was the first two times just recording by myself. So yeah, thank you again for listening, and we will see. Oh, 
Actually, wait, next week's episode uh, is going to be a special Pride-themed episode, and I have a special guest, one of my friends, who is going to be joining me for that one. So yeah, definitely check that out. I will talk about that a little bit more on social media in the next couple days. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.